After I acquired a certain revolver from Dale yesterday, I spent the remainder of the night staring at it. I played around with it a little, harmlessly imitating some rather cool western scenes. I admit that didn't help me making any sense of it, though. Either way, when I finally went to bed, I took it with me and placed it on my nightstand. For some reason, I felt like I wanted to keep it close to me. The revolver has a standard six-cylinder slot. When I checked it, I found that there were five rounds in it. This was unsurprising, seeing as back in the day, cowboys wouldn't load them fully. From what I know due to my extensive research, and by that I mean hours and hours of watching westerns, that is because these early revolvers did not have any safety mechanisms, and their hammers would always be resting with the striking pin right on the cartridge. This meant that a small bump on the hammer would be sufficient to trigger an accidental shot. If one chamber is left empty, though, it can be turned to be right in front of the hammer, avoiding the revolver firing by accident. Other than that, I found the adornments in its handle to be quite intriguing as well. While most of them seemed to only serve aesthetic purposes, I also discovered the letters C and M carved into the shiny, polished wood. I figured they must be its former owner's initials. The only person I know with their last name to start with an M is Dale, but of course I won't say his full name on here. This led me to believe that the revolver must once have belonged to one of his ancestors. I imagine it was handed down over the generations, but for it to be such a valuable heirloom, he sure was suspiciously eager to get rid of it. Whether he gave it to me as a means of protecting myself against upper management, or with some other hidden intention, is beyond me. But I guess I have enough time to find out. After all, Dale and I are now officially on the same side, even though I admit that that gets me thinking, if him and I are in the same boat, then who's in the other one? The more I keep thinking about it, the more it confuses me. I believe I should really focus on the facts. The first thing I did after getting up this morning was to gather the items Dale had advised me to keep on my person. Iron, laurel, silver, sage, salt, and red verbena. Now, I'm not stupid. I am well aware that all of these items hold supernatural meaning. I myself barely have any clue about the occult. But the great thing about having a lot of friends and acquaintances is that there's always this one person who's got just the thing you need. In my case, this person's name is Clara. Clara and I met in high school. We used to be pretty close back then, and I helped her study from time to time. An act of cordiality. She apparently never forgot. When I called her this morning to ask if she could hook me up with some things I needed, she was more than happy to help. Clara has practiced paganism for a long time now, and if there's one person who I know will take me serious, when showing up on their doorstep asking for sage and red verbena, it's her. Long story short, I drove over to her place. We had breakfast together and enjoyed some small talk before cutting to the chase. She disappeared into her bedroom for a few minutes before returning with a satchel, a weird-looking bundle, and a small jewelry box. She placed the three items on the table in front of us and sat down next to me. Okay, first things first, she began, picking up the small bundle and holding it out to me. This is sage. It's mostly used for cleansing rituals, basically the go-to thing if you want to rid a place of negative energy. And how do I do that? Do I, I, I just leave it there? Or Clara chuckled and shook her head. You burn it, silly. Next up, she held up the satchel. Red verbena. Freshly picked from the pots on my balcony. 
It offers protection from the evil eye. Whatever that is, I added in my mind. What's in the jewelry box? I inquired. Clara smiled mysteriously. I'm glad you asked. See, when you mentioned the silver and iron thing, it reminded me of a certain accessory I've had lying around here for ages. She picked up the box and held it open to produce a shiny, ornate necklace with a heart-shaped locket attached to it. Now, the chain itself is iron, and the locket is silver. Great for protection, but sadly not my style, which is why I've decided that you may have it. You seem to need it more than I do, after all. For real? I asked, taking the necklace and carefully opening and closing its locket. Yep, but the best is yet to come. My friend opened the satchel and took out a couple bright red blossoms, which she stuffed into the silver locket. She motioned for me to turn around and went about fixing the piece of jewelry around my neck. This way you'll have some silver, iron, and red verbena with you wherever you go. I smiled at her. Thank you so much. I, I, I don't know what to say. Then shut up, she replied, and we started giggling and high-fived. We had made this joke all the time back in our school days. About the salt, you can simply use your own, you know, plain salt you use for cooking. It'll do. I don't have any bay laurel around, but I know that when burned, it's good for cleansing and purification rituals. Also, it's known to be useful for breaking curses and hexes, she explained. I thanked her once again and got ready to leave, but she held me back. One more thing. So, if I got it right, you don't know what you're dealing with here. But you do know the means of protecting yourself from it. Of course, I'm not in your place and you should always proceed with an open mind, but you should probably know that iron and red verbena are specifically linked to the fae. They repel fairy folk. Clara gave me a moment to process her words before continuing. Most say that they dislike iron because it's a material forged by humans, while fairies themselves are creatures of nature. But I've also heard of another belief claiming that the fairies once made a deal with the iron and didn't hold up their end of the bargain so the iron is still angry with them. Who knows? My point is that what you're describing sounds an awful lot like them. All right. Do fairies not understand games and half-truths by any chance? Claire frowned. No, actually, they're known to be tricksters. You've got to be crazy careful when talking to them, since they tend to play around with exact wording and stuff to screw you over. It's very important not to offend them. They're spiteful little... She lowered her voice. Bastards. You never know when they might be listening. Now you're just trying to scare me. Clara winked and opened the door for me, seeing me out. You should come back sometime to chat some more. She called after me cheerfully, and I gave an affirmative thumbs up as I ventured down the stairs in her apartment building's hallway. My next stop was once again my neighbor's place. The elderly lady opened the door for me with a knowing smile. Well, if it isn't Leia, need some more laurel? She offered with a grin. Yes, actually, I've been thinking, could I buy one of your potted bays, maybe? I inquired, fumbling for my wallet. The lady was a bit taken aback, but willingly went for her living room and came back with a small laurel tree in a pot. She had some trouble dragging it to the doorstep, so I quickly took it from her, lifting it up with ease. I gave her thirty bucks for it. She had only asked for ten, but I told her I had to make up for all the inconveniences my pestering for twigs had caused for these last few days. Later I covered up every mirror in my house, either by removing them or turning them around, or by cloaking them with bedsheets and the like. 
My reasoning behind this is that whatever came over me in that restroom happened after I was staring at my reflection for too long, so I should probably avoid seeing it for a little while. Normally, I'd think that whatever happens in the park stays there, but after the incident with Dale yesterday, who says that upper management isn't able to influence me at any given time and place? I went to work today wearing the verbena locket, my backpack filled with iron nails, bay laurel, and cooking salt I had refilled into a small jar. There was one more thing I did, though, before getting on my way. I called Anne. She greeted me as cheerfully as ever, as if the creepy bathroom incident had never taken place. Hi, how are you doing? Still violent? I grinned. No, no, I'm fine. Hey, is there any chance I could see the mime today? Ah, sorry, but I'm not in today. I'm at my mom's. It's her birthday, but I'd gladly get you to him tomorrow. I told her that would probably do, and thanked her, figuring I'd focus on the aged diva and the pianist for the time being. I was less than willing to face the mime by myself, but the pretenders from the Hollywood section aren't nearly as threatening in my opinion. I got to the park at around 11. After minding the sock puppet, I went back for Hollywood. I had never really noticed how creepy it looked with nobody on the streets. The only sound that broke the silence was the quiet melody of the piano, which grew louder and louder the closer I got to the restaurant the pianist resides in. Looking in through the building's glass front, however, I stomped in my tracks. I could not only see the man in the white tuxedo sitting on his stool as usual, there was also another pretender present, the aged diva. I had never seen the two of them so close to one another before. The woman was elegantly leaning against the piano, cigarette in hand, watching her companion play. To my surprise, he wasn't completely ignoring her either. In fact, he would glance up at her with a smile from time to time. I squinted. This was very unusual. They looked so natural together, almost like they were two normal people interacting. But even more interestingly, they looked like they knew each other. If I'm correct in my assumption that all the not-actors used to be human at some point, then these two must have had a shared past. This got me thinking. If the pianist knew the diva, and the diva knew the laughing cowboy, would that mean that all of the pretenders' lives used to be connected in some way? I decided to think about it later. For now, it would be best to take this opportunity and talk to them, if you can call that talking, that is. I pushed open the door and stepped inside causing the elderly lady to whirl around. The pianist, however, didn't even look up at me. Um, hello, I greeted them awkwardly. Sir? And ma'am? The diva caught herself pretty quickly and straightened up. Why, hello, darling. So nice of you to come by and visit us, she said in her usual exaggerated manner. Us? I inquired. Her usage of this word had immediately struck me as off. Us? She tilted her head, ignoring my question. "'Won't you sit with me?' she offered, pointing at a table nearby. "'Gladly,' I replied, sliding onto the bench and waiting for her to sit down across from me. Opening my backpack, I took out the iron nail and held it out for her. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but she simply took it out of my hand and inspected it for a while before giving it back to me. She didn't say a word, just kept smiling. I cleared my throat. Anything weird about that nail? I offered. The diva looked at me like I was stupid, 
Why? Is there? She asked. I shook my head. Um, no. Seeing as I already knew how she reacted to the bay leaves, I handed her the silver earrings. She seemed to like them a lot better, holding them up against the early noon sunlight streaming in through the window. Why? Aren't they lovely? You sure have a good taste in fashion, dearie. She praised me before dropping them into my hollow hand again. Well, that was underwhelming, I thought, but decided to simply move on to the pianist. He didn't react to any of the items, except for the laurel twig. When I held it out for him, he promptly turned in his seat. He kept playing the piano eagerly, but leaned away as far from the bay leaves as he could. It was sort of entertaining, and I couldn't help but play around with this effect a little, sticking the twig out to him from either side, just to see how far he could lean over without ceasing to play. I finally decided that enough was enough, and put the laurel twig away. I wasn't ready to leave, though. It was weird how aware the two had seemed of one another when they had been by themselves. So I asked, Not to be intrusive, but are you two together or something? The pianist didn't react, but the aged diva instantly looked up. She opened her mouth as if to say something, but the only thing that escaped her lips was a dry, throaty, choking noise. We, she cawed, before suddenly throwing her head back and gagging, we, she pressed out, dear e. I took a step back. I hadn't seen her like this before. W What's happening to you? I stammered, unsure of what to do. Normally her face would melt off. That I was used to. But this? I was almost relieved when I saw her wrinkled skin slowly flow downwards, her scalp following soon after. Then a loud pop, and she was gone. I stared in shock at the glittering spot where she had just been standing. It was like she had been trying to tell me something this time. I shuddered and backed out of the restaurant, for some reason not daring to take my eyes off of the pianist. For a split second I thought I could see something glinting in the corner of his eye. I made my way over to Dale's office. I wasn't sure if he was in already, but to my surprise, I found him leaning against his door from outside, sipping from a bottle of what looked to be iced tea. There you are, he greeted me, cracking me a half-hearted smile. Took you long enough. It's good to see you too, Dale. Right. Hey, now that we're best friends and all that crap, there's one more thing I want to show you, he explained. Um, before you give me back my gun, he quickly added. I nodded and he came a bit closer to me. He sat down his water bottle and pulled up his left sleeve. There was another carving in his lower arm. This one wasn't as deep as the My Name is Dale ones, though. It looked to be pretty fresh. There was even a bit of blood dripping from one of the cuts. Three out of eight. Three out of... I was just about to say it out loud. But before I knew it, Dale was pressing his hand onto my mouth. Shh, he hissed. Will you shut your ass up? Damn it. Sorry, I mumbled into his palm. He rolled his eyes and slowly removed it from my lips. But what does it mean? I asked under my breath. Dale motioned for me to stay quiet. Can't tell. All I want you to know is that you need to keep your mind, like, wide open. Don't generalize. Stick to what you know. And be careful. I can't believe I'm saying this, but... He paused to let go of a soft sigh. He looked genuinely worried. I'd hate for you to get hurt. Suddenly, he began to fumble in his pocket, only to produce his keys. His eyes had become glazed and empty, and I watched in shock as he proceeded to lift the sharp object 
and slam it down onto his left palm with such force that it pierced the flesh. He regained consciousness soon after, told me to leave him alone and that he would take care of it. After this rather bizarre conversation, I gave him back his gun and went for the last thing on my to-do list for the day. I found Nathan slumped over in his coach seat, fast asleep. The horses were calmly standing in the shade of the entrance to the wooden roller coaster in Twinvale Point. I swung myself onto the seat next to him and quietly said his name in an attempt to wake him up, but was unable to receive any reaction apart from the occasional snore. He looked peaceful, and I didn't really want to startle him, so I merely took the stork plushie out of my backpack and placed it in his lap, right next to where his hands were resting. To my surprise, his fingers almost immediately curled around it. I couldn't help but smile at the sight. 